While we wait for the slides, I'll just second the um, idea that early referrals and having relationships for referral centers is key, especially with these patients who are rapidly progressing, given the insurance hurdles and manufacturing timelines that are ahead of us. So um, now that we've seen the great efficacy that CAR T-cells can demonstrate, we'll talk a little bit about the toxicity and management, both from the acute toxicity standpoint as well as once these patients are actually referred back to to the, the primary sites. And so overall, um, I think we've talked about this a little bit thus far, but the main differences with the currently commercially available CAR T-cell products is the co-stimulatory domains. The other things I'll point out is that a CAR is not a CAR is not a CAR, meaning that a CD28 CAR from one company may not be a CD28 CAR from another. There are differences in manufacturing um, types um, and methods, and those can actually impact CAR T phenotype and have differences in efficacy as well as toxicity. So the two products that are currently available are the CD28K CAR, Axicaptogene Cevalusol, and Tisogenoclusol, which is a 41BB CAR. We've touched a little bit on the differences between CD28 and 41BB, mainly looking at different types of expansion as well as different um, types of what we can consider immunologic memory uh, and different kinetics in terms of response as well as the expansion and timelines of toxicities. There are third-generation CARs, but it is a good um, idea, at least when you're thinking about these types of products, to actually understand some of the biology behind them because doing so can help uh, predict potential toxicity and timelines moving forward with new novel constructs as well as when you're seeing your patients and they're referred back to you. So the first thing I have to talk about is financial talks. I think a lot of us look at these prices for these drugs of 373000 up to $475,000 per an infusion, um, and that's a pretty big um, price tag to have to pay up front for a single dose. Although I just want to also mention that for many of the combined epinevo studies, especially Checkman 067, had a $300,000 price tag for one year of therapy. So although these are big prices coming up front um, and they're paid uh, you know, at a one-time um, type issue, um, the, the therapy for oncology is expensive, and this is not something unique to just CAR T-cells. And so although the associated clinical care costs may be, um, may be higher than the actual price tag of the drug, you know, these are treatments that are curing people potentially if we look at the long-term data, um, but other drugs are also very expensive, and so we have to take that into consideration when we're looking at the economic viability of these types of products. And so just to kind of go over a brief description of what types of toxicities we're actually seeing. So um, Dr. Jacobson spoke about CRS and neurotoxicity. And yes, the kinetics of these things are different. Um, the CD28 cars typically have a more robust and faster onset of these toxicities. Although, um, you know, ultimately the rates are going to be also dependent on the disease that we're treating. And so for CRS, you're typically looking at onset anywhere between two and three days. And on the real-world data, you can actually see within the first 24 hours. It can last anywhere from seven to eight days. It can really be just low-grade flu-like symptoms, as I'll tell patients. And I'll actually say that the fatigue that's associated with low-grade CRS can actually be acute, but can be lasting on the orders of weeks to months. And it's probably one of the primary complaints of patients when they're being treated. And they can actually go all the way up to a severe, more distributive shock-like picture. Um, Patients can have multi-organ system failure requiring pressures, dialysis, and uh, invasive ventilation. Um, But it is a, a, in many cases, is a limiting or self-limiting toxicity and can be managed with with many of the medications that we'll discuss shortly. And as the name kind of describes, we're talking cytokine release syndrome. It is thought to be cytokine-mediated. And I'll focus on interferon gamma, IL-1, beta, and IL-6 as three of the mediators of these types of toxicities. It does correlate with peak expansion and is managed primarily with a drug called tocilizumab, although addition of steroids can be used in tosi refractory uh, CRS. Neurotoxicity is somewhat delayed. Um, it actually occurs a couple days after CRS and can actually occur independently of CRS. Um, can last anywhere from a couple days all the way up to a couple weeks. Um, and I'll say that both of these, the majority will actually occur about 95% or more within the first 30 days, um, although they are uh, neurotoxicity is seen going out to a couple months. 
Um, this can be an aphasia, headaches, and very basic encephalopathy. Um, and we think overall that this is mediated by some form of endothelial activation, blood-brain barrier breakdown. Um, and I'll talk about in a second that CRS and neurotoxicity could actually just be the same manifestation of an, a different manifestations of the same underlying process. And we deal with neurotoxicity because of the risk of cerebral edema, primarily with steroids. Um, and I don't think there's actually a uh, well-known um, regimen for all CAR-T products that's uh, effective. And so, uh, you know, going over to before we talk about the rates of CRS and neurotoxicity for many of these different constructs, it's good to know that the grading systems that were initially used in these pivotal studies are actually different. So for the Juliet and Eliana studies for DLBCL and leukemia, it actually used a pen grading system, whereas the, two, the Lee criteria from 2014 was used for ZUMA-1, as well as for some of the Transcend studies. The reason why that's important is because the PEN studies actually use hypotension requiring any IV fluids or any type of hypoxia at grade 3 toxicity. So when you look at the grade 3 or higher rates of CRS, grade 3 tox by PEN criteria and therefore the Juliet study may be overcalling toxicities, whereas when you're looking at grade 2 for uh, the LEAD criteria, they did allow at least some form of um, IV fluid requirements as well as an FiO2 of less than 80% or 40%. So overall, just getting to the point that these are very difficult things to compare across studies, different patients, and also different grading systems. When we look at the numbers overall um, between active and T-cytogen, Lecluso, and Lysacaptogen for DLBCL, the first three columns, we can see that the overall rate of NUCRS can range from 37 to 93%, um, with grade 3 again ranging from 13 to 28%, focusing on the fact that um, <clears throat> for T-cytogen, again, that grade 3 definition could be somewhat variable. And you also see very different use utilization of tocilizumab, ranging from 14 to 43%. And so although, um, you know, it, I look at TOSI as a clinical indicator of having to intervene on a clinical picture, um, trying to normalize that. But again, the protocols evolve on how they manage CRS and neurotoxicity. So even doing that is difficult to extrapolate based on the timelines. Um, this is kind of a take-home slide for principles of acute management. Again, um, the, the REMS programs and the FDA labels actually do state things somewhat differently. So for the Juliet study and the PEN group, actually, they don't even require use of steroids for both CRS and neurotoxicity unless it's grade 3 or higher. But overall, when you're looking at CRS and neurotox, you're looking at supportive care for grade 1, uh, with grade 2 toxicities being managed with tocilizumab of CRS and steroids if isolated neurotoxicity. And it gets pretty simple, or if you have both, you treat as both. Um, again, this is completely oversimplifying how we manage CRS, but these are basic principles. With grade 3 requiring tosin and steroids, um, and just more steroids if you have worse neurotox, and then you move to more higher dose steroids, like a gram of methylpred times three days, um, as well as ICU and ongoing supportive care. The point that I'll make here is that this is where early referrals actually matters. You know, I look at patients, and I'm not necessarily looking for a reason not to give them a CAR T cell. I'm looking for a way to optimize them to get them through a CAR T cell. And so it is important to, you know, each center is going to have different criteria, although looking at the types of um, comorbidities may differ. Um, you need to be thinking about what types of CNS prophylaxis procedures you'll be giving because there are associated procedures with these types of um, therapies um, and have appropriate imaging and restaging. And there's also um, new uh, guidelines that are now coming out and coming put forward. So the ASBMT, so now called ASTCT, uh, given the differences and grading strategies from the different trials, came together with representatives from Novartis and Kite, as well as multiple academic centers to come together and make the new ASBMT consensus criteria. And part of it was to try to simplify what was necessarily being used, um, make it more clinically applicable, and also focus on neurotoxicity, which really was using CTCAE um, and did not have a good uh, definition. So overall, we're basically saying that any fever is required for CRS, any kind of vasopressor or anything more than low-flow oxygen would be considered grade 3 uh, CRS. 
Um, and so for most of the studies, we'll be moving forward. And so hopefully this has been somewhat simplified and will help organize the studies so the comparators can be more similar moving forward. Overall, this is probably the biggest change of the criteria is actually the ICANN scoring. And so part of the, the, the difficulty is when you're looking at mild, moderate, and severe neurotoxicity in patients, that's a somewhat sub, um, subjective um, uh, determination to make. And so they try to come up with more guidelines that actually look at the level of consciousness, seizure activity, and any motor findings. So for instance, a patient who may awaken to voice um, and may have what they call lower ICE score. And so these are basically just asking where you are, what your name is, and answering simple questions. So it's a way to try to quantify severity of neurotoxicity as well as combining it with the clinical picture. So overall, this is the new guidelines we'll be moving forward for neurotoxicity grading. Um, we'll just further complicate things when we're trying to compare neurotoxicity and CRS to the prior studies. Um, so Dr. Jacobson mentioned uh, the real-world data, and so uh, Dr. Jacobson presented this at ASH in 2018. Um, but overall, focusing on the toxicities here, we're looking at any grade CRS very similar to at least between the Zuma 1 cohort from the DFCI cohort, we're 16 to 13%. Um, there was a slightly higher rate of grade 3 neurotoxicity, and we definitely saw more utilization of tocilizumab, but that just may have been an evolution of us being more comfortable with using steroids and tocilizumab. But initially, we were actually concerned that this may impact efficacy, and that has not panned out. So long-term complications in management, good news is that if you're referring to a CAR T-cell center, um, the FDA requires that the patient stay within two hours of the infusing center for the first 28 days, um, <clears throat> and that 95% of the toxicity is going to occur within this timeline, and typically we were performing restaging prior to going back to you and making recommendations. After that, um, there are some considerations that have to be, made, be taken, and so patients should remain on appropriate viral prophylaxis. There are no set guidelines, but typically we're following more of an auto-transplant-like uh, approach. Um, we do continue patients on PCP prophylaxis until their T-cell counts are greater than 200. And then we do look for other types of um, opportunities and infections because there are rates, there are higher rates of infections in this uh, patient cohort from both prior lines of therapy as well as lymphodepletion and a B-cell aplasia. And so the one thing I didn't touch on because this is more an on-target off-tumor um, toxicity is but normal B-cells are actually depleted following CAR T-cell because of the CD19 targeting. And we really don't know in adults. In pediatrics, we think it's, been, uh, it's, it's required. But for adults, we're not entirely clear whether IVIG needs to be given as we do in transplant for an IgG less than 400. But I do recommend it, and I do follow that. We typically do restaging scans anywhere between three and six months and definitely at one year. Um, and then we typically try to, at least I try to stay close. I know Dr. Jacobson stays close with their patients um, who are being referred to her or then sent back. And there's also a 15-year mandated FDA follow-up through the CIBMTR. And so if you are a transplant center, we will try to transfer that CRID so that that data can be reported to the FDA for the long-term follow-up. So let's talk about mechanisms. Um, so overall, as we, uh, you know, clinically, what we don't necessarily have real-time cytokine analysis, which can actually complicate things when you're trying to figure out whether a patient's having CRS. But overall, there are some clinical variables that can be associated. And so cytopenias and rise of inflammatory markers have been seen, as well as the coagulopathy, speaking to some of the bleeding risk in these patients. And so overall, you'll see patients who have higher grades of CRS here have lower, uh, have more profound neutropenia and thermocytopenia as well as higher CRPs and ferritins. These are things that I routinely check daily. Um, it can be checked when the patient returns to you if you're concerned for any re-expansion or toxicity that may be associated. Um, but this is downstream of the IL-6 pathway and is thought to be partly um, a downstream marker of CRS. Additionally, you can see elevations in PTs, PTTs, D-dimers, and drops in fibrinogen, again, just speaking to the coagulative uh, properties of CRS. Um, and the thing I'll also point out is that CRS is actually starting to look very much like a syndrome called macrophage activation syndrome. And so if you actually do bone marrow biopsies on many of these patients, especially leukemia patients, you'll actually find hemophagocytosis in the bone marrow at the time of peak CRS. And if you actually look at the cytokine profiles, this looks very much like a disease called HLH. 
And so, again, splenomegaly, fevers, coagulopathy, uh, hyperferritinemia, and hyperferritinemia. Ferritin's over 100,000 in some leukemia patients. Um, it, is, uh, it does mimic. And that if you look at cytokines that are supposed to be elevated in HLH versus cytokines that are supposed to be ele- not elevated in HLH, there is actually an overlap, the red dots being patients who have had high degrees of CRS with the types of cytokines that we're typically seeing elevated in HLH. So, again, this actually just may be one CRS to macrophage activation um, spectrum. There's also other thoughts in terms of mechanisms of neurotoxicity that were alluded to previously, being both endothelial activation, where you look at markers such as ANG2, von Willebrand factor, antigen, and percent low molecular weight von Willebrand factor, and you'll see elevations of things that would typically be associated with uh, endothelial activation, as well as endothelial and broadly embryo permeability, where you look at patients pre and then post for interferon gamma and IL-6, and you'll see higher levels of cytokines. Again, speaking to potential different mechanisms for maybe leading to this. Um, and so let's talk about some emerging strategies. Um, and so one of the most underappreciated data sets, in my opinion, for this was actually the safety management study, the cohort three of the Zuma one study, where they actually gave prophylactic TOSI. So the thought was that if you treat with TOSI earlier, can you prevent these more severe toxicities? And so all patients were given tocilizumab at day plus two following infusion on this protocol. Um, and what, the, what they did see is that the good news was there was no impact in T-cell expansion, which we think is pretty critical for efficacy. Um, however, you did see actually spikes in IL-6 and interferon gamma following administration of tocilizumab. Using a car analogy, if you block all the parking spaces, you know, the cars have to get back on the highway. And IL-6 is uh, the way tocilizumab works is it binds the IL-6 receptor, and so you get rid of a receptor-mediated clearance. And therefore, you'll see a spike in IL-6 as well as interferon gamma, although this did not occur across all cytokines such as IL-2. Um, Although they did decrease the rates of CRS of prophylactic TOSI, they actually had higher rates of, and grades of neurotoxicity, including grade 5 um, cerebral And so, again, this, this, this would not be recommended routinely across the board. Um, the good thing, too, is we actually looked at some potential mechanisms. And so looking at cytokines at baseline as well as cytokines post-infusion, for grade 3 or higher neurotoxicity, there are actually higher levels of IL- interferon gamma, IL-15, IL-6, and IL-8 compared to baseline. I'm suggesting that, again, this may be just more of a, um, a CNS-mediated kind of cytokine release syndrome, if you will, and macrophage activation syndrome. And when you look at the types of subcell population subsets that were included in the CSF of these patients, there was a predominance of a CD14. You remember CD14 for subsequent questions. Uh, myeloid cells that had a 17-fold um, higher level in patients who had uh, grade 3 or higher neurotoxicity, getting back into the monocytic or macrophage activation um, picture. And so there is some data. Now that we're generating mouse models actually to mimic humans as opposed to um, animals to mimic uh, the other way around. And when you give CAR T cells plus tumor, you can actually see granulocytic, macrophage, and monocyte infiltration within the tumor area. Um, And if you look at actually who's making the cytokines that we keep talking about, if you look at CAR T cells versus monocytes, CAR T cells aren't making the IL-1 and IL-6. It's predominantly actually the monocytic compartment that's, that's making these types of cytokines. And so this is speaking to the fact that the T cells may be making things like interferon gamma, which are then causing macrophage activation and the production of IL-1 and IL-6. <clears throat> so there are approaches of targeting. One um, we're currently investigating is using things like IL-1 receptor uh, antagonists. Um, there are drugs that are currently available, but there are all other, other approaches. And groups have tried to do this, at least in animal models. And what you can show is that, again, giving tocilizumab prophylactically versus anakin or IL-1 blockade, you don't see differences in expansion of CAR T cells, although you do see a decrease. And so you don't even have the blue line here of lethal neurotoxicity, where, again, we're recapitulating the human data for giving tocilizumab up front actually increases the rate of lethal neurotoxicity. Good news is the overall survival of the mice or patients um, will hopefully be, uh, will be improved given, uh, with use of these types of medications. 
There are other drugs that are currently in, under investigation, including GMCSF blocking antibodies based on the granulocytic infiltration and high levels of GMCSF. GMCSF is also involved in macrophage activation. Until they're in various animal models, they're able to use a GMCSF blocking antibody and demonstrate that overall survival or change in weight, which is correlated with CRS, um, is actually more stable as opposed to the, the mice who get uh, isotype controls. And so thinking about it, you know, TOSI may not be the be-all, end-all for the types of um, management that we're doing, but we are investigating other mechanisms. The big fear here being that we don't want to impact CAR T-cell efficacy given how relapsed and refractory many of these patients are. Um, and I'll just say the CAR-T big dig with our group at MGH, um, so who is currently doing CAR T-cells. But uh, with that, I will move to the next talk. Great. Thank you very much.